Hello and welcome to One Star Bazaar. We review the movies critics hated in search of the unfairly underrated. This week, we are watching the reboot of one of my favorite graphic novel series, Hellboy 2019. Hellboy was directed by Neil Marshall and written by Andrew Cosby. It was released in theaters April 12th of 2019. Stars David Harbour, Mia, Mila, 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 Mila Jovovich, Ian McShane, Sasha Lane, Daniel Day Kim, and Thomas Hayden Church. No, he's in the movie for what, like, like five seconds? seconds. Yeah. <laughs> While battling a trio of rampaging giants, the legendary half-demon Hellboy encounters Nimue the Blood Queen, an ancient resurrected sorceress who's out to avenge a past betrayal. Suddenly caught in a clash between the supernatural and the human, Hellboy soon becomes hellbent on stopping Nimue without triggering the end of the world. Can I just say, <laughs> having now already seen this, are we allowed to say that or yeah. do we have to pretend no, that we, we can, watch it no, we can, after? No, we can say we've seen it. Having seen this already and then recording afterwards, that is a terrible synopsis. All of the ones like, were very long. No, no, no. And like, lame <laughs> yeah like it 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 makes it seem like that's how he came across like that's how the conflict starts and it's not like we'll get i don't know it. it's like it's like watching a trailer and then when you see the movie you realize oh the trailer made it seem like this but it's actually that and that is lame like how okay well i had only seen the trailer for Pan's Labyrinth. I yeah. didn't realize it was rated R. Didn't realize how crazy it was going to be. So I, I thought, from the trailer, I thought it was like a kid's like fantasy Whoa. movie. See, I didn't think that. But I do remember seeing it way later, um, after it had been out for a long time. I didn't realize that, like, 80% of the movie is set during World War II. Yeah. <laughs> like, our world. Like, I thought it was an Alice in Wonderland yeah. kind of a thing. Except not, like, very adult. I knew it yeah. was adult and scary. But I thought that she, like, went into this world and then was just gone. Like, she yeah. was like, peace out, Earth. I'm out. Like, yeah. I'm going to go to this fantasy scary land yeah. and just be there. Her I didn't realize she definitely kept, made it seem like that. <laughs> yeah, it kept, like, jumping back to her... In our world constantly. So, anyway. On to the review. Not talking about Guillermo del Toro <laughs> movies in this one, because we are talking about the reboot. Yes. So, this one has a 17% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 31% on Metacritic, and was liked by 69% of Google users. Can I just say, that's a little low, actually. It is low. 69%? Yeah. I mean, it's still, it's still positive with the majority, but... Most of the times, we're like... We're used to, like, 80s and 90s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the reviews for this were overwhelmingly negative, and I struggled to find any one of them that said something remotely positive. So, we have William Bibiani from The Wrap. He said, Captures the breathless quality of reading 30 issues of a single comic book series in one sugar-addled afternoon shoving as many amazing characters and storylines and images into one film as it can possibly hold. Again, that was positive. <laughs> Anton Battelle of Little White Lies 
said, sweary, silly, schlocky, satisfyingly surreal, but as Ben Dynio, but as Ben Dynio puts it, Hellboy does not add up. Ben Dynio, of course, is Daniel Day Kim's character from the movie. Oh. So okay. he's quoting a character. That makes sense. It's not some random guy that you're I supposed to I was like, who approach. is that? Yeah. So, Vince Mancini from Uprocks said, Exuberantly gross and proudly ridiculous, this Hellboy feels like the picture Glenn Danzig sees in his head when he doodles in his notebook. Who's Glenn Danzig? For the people, for, for the listeners, not for me, because I... Don't know. Um, he's, uh, like a musician. Oh. Okay. Um, and also, like, does comic books, like adult comic books, oh. I guess. Alright. The band The Misfits, or just Misfits. Sure. Anyway, he looks kind of, he's wearing a lot of black, so whatever, <laughs> you take from that what you will. I'm not gonna put a label on it, but. Okay, so, coming into, so all I know of the Hellboy canon is the, the first, first two movies. Yet, of course. Whereas Jonathan has read many, if not all. <laughs> it has been a long time. Yeah. And I probably have not read, I don't even remember. Like, there's been probably a lot of new ones. I know that since we've been married, we have been to a comic book store or two. And I do remember a bookstore or something. I remember being like, oh, they finally, you know, put this in graphic novel form and now I can buy it. And so I did. So this story... Uh-huh. is based on three graphic novels, which are kind of like one story arc. Okay. Okay. So it's, um, God, I'm trying to remember. Basically, The Wild Hunt is one of them, and Darkness Calls, there's another one, and I honestly don't. That's fine. And it's like Storm and Fury or something like that. So basically, those, that, that story arc involves what we've seen here. He, um... He like goes to England on this hunt, kind of gets betrayed by the guys because they're they're protecting the world from him essentially, because they have this vision or prophecy or whatever that he, when he you know conquers the world as the leader of Hell's army, you know he will assume usurp the throne of England. Okay, um, that's like the wild hunt, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the story arc obviously involves. Um, Nimue and other witches. I mean, he fights a lot of witches in the comic books. Yeah. Hecate is another one um, that I recall him fighting. Baba Yaga. Oh, yes. Um, and in this one, I will say, so I am familiar with the Baba Yaga, like, mythos, you know, folktale yeah, story folk, version. Uh-huh. But, like, man, she looks terrifying. <laughs> so, like, that's a... It's, it's, ugh. Like, My for, face. A, for a movie, for, for them going away from gear, gear, blah. Yeah, Guillermo's version was, like, tame compared for, yeah, to Yeah, for them going away from Guillermo del Toro, and if anybody is familiar with a lot of his movies, like Pan's Labyrinth or the other Hellboys or Shape of Water, I mean, he's very inventively creative and kind of like terrifying with the imagery and the you know yeah. the creatures of nightmares and stuff. And this movie is like 
it's rough. It like, is. It is. So we're getting scary. a little bit off tangent, but let's go ahead and get into our first category, which is acting. Now, I'm going to say I love Ron Perlman's version of Hellboy. Yeah. Um, I'm actually fairly pleased with David Harbour's version. What do you think? So I actually was interested to see that a lot of critics kind of found a positive in his acting mm-hmm. and then felt like the rest of the movie kind of let it down. I did not like his interpretation of this character. Really? He was, and I'm not going to put it all on David Harbour. Right. I'm sure he's a good actor. I don't really, I've never he hasn't watched. seen Stranger Things. I've never seen Stranger Things. I don't have time for <laughs> that much. Like, I don't have time for a lot of TV in my life. So, um... I don't know if it was his acting or the writing or just the combination of both, but like he was too brooding. He had like no happiness. Yeah. He's definitely not as likable. Yeah. I mean, I think the writing kind of was trying to give him this weird existential crisis. Like, so the, I mean, this is getting into the plot a little bit, but it, it really starts out with like in the first, in the, in the original movies, Hellboy has like, a fairly decent relationship with his father. Yeah. Like, he loves his dad. He, um... His adopted father. Yes, for the, for his, the obviously his adopted father. Because he is from hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in this one, it's, like, the whole, like, strain of their relationship is the focus of it. And he's acting more like, um... Like a, like a broody teenager who's like, my dad just doesn't get me, like... Like okay, kind of thing. You've seen Man of Steel, yeah. Eventually, right? I know that you. I did. I did eventually watch it. Yes. <laughs> you know how what one of the things that made Man of Steel so bad was they were trying to build up this inner conflict in Superman that just didn't work. Where he's like, I don't know if humans will accept me, or if I can be human, or if I won't, or if I can renew. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And it was terrible because they didn't do a good job at all. They didn't give any sort of actual counterpoint. Of, hey, here's all the people that hate you and are making you even think that way. Yeah. So it's like he was just imagining other people hating him. And you're right. He's yeah. like acting like a teenager. Like, you, you don't have anxiety. <laughs> I okay. totally think people <laughs> That's <hate me>. fine. <laughs> but the problem is that you don't, like, you have to do a good job explaining that with a movie. Yeah, true. And they didn't do that at all. And so it's the same problem here is you have Hellboy that's like, Man, like, this is, everybody thinks I'm a bad guy, and, like, I'm not, but, man, I'm just so sick of all the drama, and what, it's like, dude, you're creating the drama, and you're just no fun. Yeah. That's the problem. Hellboy is, like, your teenage friend that's just a bummer, not even teenage, <laughs> you're just friend who's a bummer and negative, and you're just like, dude, I don't even want to hang out with you anymore. <laughs> like, just, like, lighten up, man. Like, life's not that bad. I didn't like the interpretation of the character of Hellboy. Compared to Ron Perlman's, um, there, and just we might as well kind of get into the story too and the writing. No, I'm not done with that. There's a lot of overlap. Okay, fine. Because I want to talk a little bit about Mila Jovovich. Can I just okay? Can I can I finish my point then? Yeah. Um, as far as the writing, like the writing was bad because, like, it wasn't funny, but it tried to be. This movie needed some script doctors or like. A team of comedic writers that could say, oh, here's a funny one-liner that Hellboy can, you know, zing back at somebody. Yeah. Like, you're basically like, he 
his character is the guy who tries to be funny, but it but doesn't work because he's not funny, and so just falls flat. He's like, oh yeah, well you know, your mom is dumb, and you're like, yeah, good one, buddy, great, yeah. you know. Whereas because this is fiction and he's not a real person, like they could have written good material, so you'd be like, oh man, he got him, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, he's cool and and kind of he's that sarcastic guy that. You know, you you like as a character, and it just did not yeah. work for me. Go so ahead. with Mila Jovovich, so she's supposed to, she's the villain in this movie, and she's very like you don't really know what her motivation is, like why she wants monsters to like rule the world, and she's super like wooden. I want to say like she's almost she's just not very believable I guess like she just doesn't feel like a evil person who wants all humans to die yeah I don't know what do you think but again is that her character like her acting or is that just more the story didn't develop her character yeah at all? maybe it could have been I actually thought well. she was perfectly fine doing like acting I mean yeah I didn't have it I was like oh yeah she's decent um, while we're on the subject of acting, can we talk about this? Why do all these people have British accents? Because they're in England. But they're not British. Why don't you get British actors? The girl. Yeah. It American. Was... Daniel Day Kim. Not British. <laughs> <laughs> not Ian British. McShane. Yes. He's British. Yeah. It, yeah. His his accent did kind of throw me. Daniel Day Kim. Um, yeah. Weird, I was like, man. why does he have... And just because they're in England doesn't mean they need to be English. True. He could be stationed there. I mean, he talked about being in the jungles of Guatemala or wherever Belize. Yeah, he could have just been an American soldier or like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Who just happened to be recruited and stationed there. So. Yeah, so let's get into the story then. Um, Like Jonathan mentioned, it's like three different storylines of the graphic novel. No, I mean, well, no, it's more the. The, the graphic novel is kind of one arc. It's like multiple acts of the same story. Oh, okay. Which I'm sure in... And I actually... I know I own at least one or two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be interested to go back and read them and compare to the mm-hmm. movie. Um, I did not have the time to do that before recording. But I probably actually will if I can find what box they're in. I know where they are. Okay. So, <laughs> story-wise, I did not like this movie as a reboot. Okay. I did not like... Here's what it felt like. It felt like every time they make a Spider-Man movie, we have to get five minutes of him being bitten by the spider. Yeah. And it's like, dude, we get it. Like, I mean, I know that not a lot of people are familiar with Hellboy as a character as they are with Spider-Man. But at the same time, there's more subtle, nuanced, clever ways to give the origin or or reference back to his origin than showing us once again him being summoned into our world as a child and adopted by his father and etc right that's why i actually like the fact like the most recent spider-man movies yeah Um, they're like what is it he's already spider-man yeah homecoming he's just like he's been spider-man for like a year and iron man is like oh yeah you know here you go like you know i'm gonna take you under my wing kid you know, you can go from the neighborhood Spider-Man to being more of a... World Spider-Man. Yeah. Earth Spider-Man. So, I did not like that. I did not like this movie as a reboot. I 
think it would have been way stronger to build on even if you even if you don't say it's necessarily automatically connected as a direct sequel to the first two you can still build on it and say hey you guys know who this character is right yeah okay cool moving on this story arc any thoughts before I go into my next major story point I agree with what you've said so far okay so this movie is not written well okay here's my okay so for anyone who has watched The Witcher, which is on Netflix, yeah. okay, the biggest weakness of that TV show is the pacing and timelines of the story. Yes. Right? It's so, so confusing. What time are we in? And it's, here's the thing. They do it, and I'm sure that's how the video games are, and yeah. I don't care, but they do it to try to... I don't know, have some sort of kind of like a twist where they're like, oh, snap, you didn't see that this was going to... And you're like, okay, the only way this... The problem is it doesn't work because you you go, oh, well, this has to be like different timelines. I think what, we were like two or three episodes in and I was like, this has to be different timelines, right? And yeah. Like, what? And I was like, yeah, because this yeah. and that. And you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because there, so there, there was only spoken like exposition to remotely indicate what time period we were in. Right. So it they was never very said confusing. 20 years later or yeah. in this timeline. So the payoff in that show, I'm sorry, this is such a tangent. It's okay. The payoff <laughs> in that show is not worth the confusion along the way. Okay. Same thing here. I don't understand why they decided to tell the writer, and I don't know how much, um, Input he did have from Mike Mignola, mm -hmm. who is the original, the comic creator. Yeah. Um, who originally was one of going to be like writing a script for this one, and then it got taken over by this guy or whatever. And mm -hmm. so I don't know how much input was given. Obviously, they did lift a lot of the storyline from the books and cobble it together, similar to how other comic book movies have done in yeah. you know, recent years. But. How this movie should have been was we should have seen a vision yeah. from the English people, the Osiris people, this secret society, right? Yeah. They should have presented us in the beginning with this vision that Hellboy is going to sit on the throne of England and they're like, what are we going to do about this? And so then we would know from the beginning oh, they have something up their sleeve. They're not really with him. Because when they invite him out, they're like, oh, yeah, come out and hunt giants with us. It'll be fun. You know, we, we need your help. And then, of course, he gets there. They betray him, try to kill him. And they're like, Psh, you think we need your help, man? We've been doing, you know. This for 200 years. Yeah, we, we, we are giant hunters. That's what we do. Like, we just tricked you to come out here because we're, you know, we're not going to let you usurp the throne of our homeland. But because the writer wanted to have this be this, like, this twist, like, oh, man, what a sudden betrayal. Um, but it didn't work. Like, it fell it, flat It for me. did fall really flat. Like... You were just like, what the Yeah, it just happening? seemed to come out of nowhere. And it's not until later that someone else explains that, oh, like, every, like, you should die. Like, <laughs> that, like... 
that there's like, some... why they why they yeah like why that? they wanted to kill him but yeah it, it seriously comes out of nowhere there's like no explanation for it and then all those english guys are dead before they can explain it like it all comes posthumously <laughs> exact same okay so exact same problem moving on exact same problem when we first meet alice monahan uh-huh she's an adult and we are it's clear that there's some history between her and Hellboy. Yeah. And she's like, oh yeah, ever since you saved me, blah, blah, blah. It's all really weird and cryptic. And again, there's absolutely no reason the payoff of the, you know, how, you know, this mystery that gets unraveled of their connection isn't worth anything. Why be confusing off the bat? That should have been how the movie started. You would have seen oh, yeah. Hellboy, it'd be like, oh, you know, 20 years ago. Uh-huh. And then he's just out, he's doing what he does, working cases and hunting down, you know, supernatural monsters. And he saves this little girl. Yeah. Now we know why the pig guy is motivated when yeah. he shows up at the beginning of the movie and starts helping Mila jo uh, Jovovich's, you know hench people help you know gather her yeah. her body parts back up and put her back together um that would have made sense and then we would have known who she was when she showed up later yeah instead we get this weird flashback in the middle of the movie that makes no i mean it makes sense because it fits in but it's like why didn't you just tell us this up front yeah so i will admit i understand the desire from a writing perspective, not that I'm a writer, but I have dabbled amateurly writing things down, ideas in my head. I get why you like, oh, wouldn't it be a great kind of shocking thing there? TV, movies, books, everybody wants to, you know, remembers how they feel when a big shocking thing gets revealed in your favorite yeah. whatever, you know, when Star you have Wars that or something. <laughs> and everybody wants to recreate that, but it's really hard and it can be so bad. And this movie, it doesn't work third point of how I would rewrite this movie okay in the beginning this starts out with the exposition of who Mila Jovovich is yeah she is this evil queen witch sorceress whatever who is trying to broker a deal with King Arthur right so she is alive at the time of King Arthur he uses Excalibur to essentially defeat her I wasn't entirely clear if she's supposed to be, like, the lady in the lake who gave him the sword or something. Didn't they say something about that? Or I read something about that? Oh. That's I don't know. Ring a bell to me. <laughs> okay. Whatever. So, that's something maybe I'll find out when I go back and read books or something. So, she is defeated by King Arthur. He chops her into pieces. And then it's like, he takes her to the four ends of the earth where... Which seem to all be in English. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, right? Well, yeah, because it's, it's an island. Across England. <laughs> yeah, it's an island. So she gets pieced back together. And, of course, now she's in our modern day and, you know, oh, the world is horrible. I'm here to destroy everything. I think you're right. Some better motivation for her. They tried, maybe. If she had thought, I think some of the best villains are the ones who think they're the good guy. Yeah. And think like, oh, I'm I mean, even like Thanos, for example, most recently with the Avengers movies. Our slash he, Thanos did nothing wrong. <laughs> he definitely thinks he's 
doing the world a favor. Yeah, he's doing. Right? Yeah, he his whole thing is that he's like saving people because his world was destroyed because of overpopulation and lack of resources, and he doesn't want anyone else to have to go through that. Right. And he thinks he's doing the right thing for sure. So especially when it comes to comic books, there's a lot of cases where the villain doesn't Lex Luthor think he's doing the right thing <laughs> in, in some versions yeah yeah um so I think if that had been better developed with her character that she thinks she's doing the world a favor back then I mean, and now yeah I mean know, she definitely thinks she's doing like monsters a favor for sure for like sure. she doesn't understand why they have to live in the shadows like why they can't be like a part of the world and and then, you know, when she's back in modern times, she's like, what is this? Like, what yeah. has humanity become? Like, exactly. And it's, I, that's, I could totally connect with that. Yeah. But they didn't really develop that well enough. Yeah. Um, I would have put the exposition of who she was halfway through the movie. Maybe not halfway, but, like, when she shows up, you know? One example of a movie... That did a really great job. That's a definite. Are you gonna say Batman? Whatever. No. Okay. When we learn about Talia Al Ghul, like three quarters of the way through the movie. No. Okay. No, I was gonna say, the scene in whichever of the last Harry Potter movies, Deathly Hallows. One one? of them. (laughs) Probably Deathly Hallows Part One. The scene where they explain the story of the three, the three brothers. Brothers, yeah. To explain what the De- Deathly Hallows are. Yeah. Which is not at the very beginning. They come across the story organically because somehow it comes up and then Harry's like, what? What are you it's, talking um, about? It's uh, Luna Lovegood's dad. Right. Yeah, while well, they're at his house. Is it? Isn't it? I thought it was uh, Hermione reads it out of like the book or whatever. Yeah, so... Yeah, so... Ron, Ron knows what the... He's right. like, oh yeah, the Deathly Hallows, like whatever. Or he's like, oh, you don't know Babbity Rabbity and the Hopping Pot or whatever? And right. they're like, we're within muggles. Like, we have no idea what you're talking about. Right. I'm pretty anyway, sure that's well they're at. Whatever. The point is, through the course of their journey, they come across this. They're like, what's that? And then someone in the story explains it to them. And it does a really cool little kind of goes into the imagination and shows the animation of all, you know, yeah. what the story. I thought that's great. Yeah, that I would is love more if more movies like did more of that. Parts and of... so, if here, you could even have, he'd be like, you know, his dad would be like, oh, snap, Nimue showed up. And Hellboy would be like, who? And he'd be like, Nimue, like the blood queen. And they'd be like, what are you talking about? And he'd be like, all right, check it out. And then we like zoom in on the crystal ball. Or even the vision lady, if she was still alive. Mm-hmm. I don't remember when she died. She could have been like, you know, here is the. Because. Again, in the way I'm rewriting this story, she has her vision at the beginning and tells all the other guys, hey, Hellboy is, you know, we got to watch out for him. Mm -hmm. We could have a similar scene where she's like, this is the Blood Queen, and we go in and we see this kind of as a flashback. Yeah. And that's how Hellboy's learning it, and we're Mm -hmm. learning it alongside. That would have been so much better than what we got, I think. (laughs) So, despite the flaws in the story and the ways you think it could have been better, Mm -hmm. is this movie engaging? I mean, I don't know. So, one of the things I will say, I think this, this movie definitely 
has more of like a horror feel to it that I don't feel like they really addressed in the first set of movies. Like, they have that one part where Hellboy kind of digs up that guy in the graveyard who was, like, hanged and, like, drags him around by his noose. And there were, you know, it was still kind of, like, gruesome and weird. But the monsters in this movie have almost, like, a like a Silent Hill kind oh, yeah. of vibe. Like, yeah, no, super they're... creepy, super scary. Um, not things you'd want to mess with. And then there's weird little cute ones, like... <laughs> Like, the, I mean, they're not cute, but, like, the little fairies and the goblins and the whatever that are hanging out on the hill with Nimue before Hellboy shows up. Um, so I think they, you know, I enjoyed the part where they kind of gave it a way darker turn, but I wasn't bored during the movie. I, there were parts where I was like, oh, this is, like, confusing the way they put this together, but it wasn't, like, Boring. Do you feel like that level of horror and grotesqueness was appropriate for this type of movie? It it did feel a little bit out of place, I feel like. I mean, so Hellboy, granted, I, you know, like I said, I haven't read the comics. I've only seen the first two movies, which I loved, by the way. Like, I own both of them. Like, I'm a big fan. Um, I know I've seen the second one, and I do not remember it. I should go back and watch both of those. Yeah, you should. Just because I will happily watch them with you. <laughs> um, but even though Hellboy is like this dark character and he's literally like from hell, he has like a lightness and a f like fun about him and he's not like all doom and gloom all the time. And here, yeah, he's like darker and broodier, but the contrast between him and the gore and, like, the violence and the sheer ugly terror of, like, the other villains does seem misplaced. Like, every time the Baba Yaga was on screen, I was like, I don't want to look at this. Like, wh why is she so grotesque? And, like, it was, like, the, she had, like, the movement of, like, the little girl from the ring mixed with, yeah. like just a terrifying face. Like, why, why is it like that? <laughs> like, I was regretting yeah. watching it right before we went to sleep. Like, I was like, I'm gonna have nightmares. Yeah, and that's another example of where I feel like they made a poor choice in explaining the backstory. Because he shows up to her, or she summoned him, or whatever well, it was. Well, we also don't know what her motivation is, either. Because, like... his eye. I know, revenge. but, like, he, he like, knocked out her eye or something. But, like, she's the one who enlists the pig man. Yeah. And, like, it just kind of gets the whole ball rolling. It just seems weird. Like, I don't understand. All because she wants a, a new eye? Like, that doesn't well, make and sense. And she also wants revenge on him because he shot her eye out. Which they didn't show, and I think that they should have. Yeah. <laughs> that should have been, like, a flashback or something versus him just being like, oh, yeah, remember that time I shot your eye out? Oh, that's why you hate me so much. Well, moving on. Yeah. Like, just weird choice of how they explain stuff. Um, I think this movie... Here's the thing. The horror with this movie is a very... It's a very deliberate design choice that was mm -hmm. made like and i don't know if it was neil marshall 
who the director who specifically wanted to go in that direction or if just the people that were around the producing it and you know they said hey we want to make a really dark horror version of hellboy and we want you to direct it and he kind of said okay i can go with that by the way neil marshall uh most famous and notable for directing several notable episodes of game of thrones so i don't think this is his first movie but this is probably one of his first major uh movie opportunities like i think he's directed other films but they've been pretty uh you know low independent whatnot yeah um well i mean i definitely understand the you know kind of the fun of bringing hellboy to a rated r version just because he is like a darker character and you do have that opportunity but still the horror felt misplaced like right and looking at something like deadpool where you have the snarky, sarcastic lead who's still likable. Mm-hmm. Like, Hellboy could have been a lot more like that. Like, I feel like the original Hellboy, Ron Perlman's version was, um, he had that potential to be, like, the sarcastic, like, quippy mm-hmm. guy who is funny, but is also a badass. <laughs> but here, I don't know, yeah, the difference between... The character of Hellboy and the horror world that he's in, just it didn't mesh for me. So the issue I have with this is this movie suffers from the exact same thing that a lot of the DC films have suffered from in the last few years. Yeah, where they try to be too dark and gritty. Yes, exactly. (laughs) They don't understand their own characters. And so they just think, oh... You know, Christopher Nolan made a really dark, gritty Batman trilogy, and that was awesome, and everybody loved it, and it was successful. Let's do that with all of the characters. The most poorly one, in my opinion, was, of course, Man of Steel slash uh, Batman vs. Superman with their treatment of Superman that way because Superman is the last character (laughs) that you should go super dark and gritty with. It completely undermines everything that makes Superman an interesting character. Yeah. (laughs) And I am a Superman apologist for the record. I think Superman is a great character. If he is treated properly and given good development within the story and within his, the foundation of his character. That's not important, but I just wanted to throw that out there. That Superman is great for anybody who hates him. He's like, oh, he's so boring, man. Screw you. <laughs> so, uh, Hellboy, in the same way that I said that villains, a lot of the interesting villains in comic books are interesting because they think that they're the hero, a lot, like, what makes Hellboy interesting is that he is kind of an anti-hero who chooses specifically to be heroic. He could just give in to his baser instincts. He is a demon. He, as shown in this movie, could easily give in to temptation, you know, take up Excalibur, destroy the world, usher in the apocalypse, you know, and rule the mountain of ashes. However, he chooses not to. He chooses to find the good in humanity and, you know, have the strength to choose good even when everything within his nature tells him to destroy. 
right? Well, I mean, I mean, in this, so in, I don't know. I'm not saying in this. I'm just saying in no. general. That is well, like yeah. Cowboy's character. So I'm just not saying because I don't know canonically what his makeup is. Like from the first two movies, they make it seem like no, he's just like a demon. But in this movie, they he's no, okay. he's half human, half demon. I think that's right. So I mean, it's not that he's you know fighting all of himself. He's but his fighting father is like half of himself. His father is like. The, the ruler of hell, yeah, or whatever, like whether the it's devil Satan or, or yeah, yeah. But yeah, so he's going against that um part of himself, I guess. Versus, oh no, he has to like. Well, so even totally change who he. I mean, it's it's like who he is on the outside versus who he is on the inside. Like on the inside, he is just a guy, but on the right. outside, he's no, he's a demon. <laughs> so not even setting aside that he's a demon. Let's also go the role of prophecy. Mm-hmm. in stories like this. So he is prophesied to be the kind of the destroyer of the world, right? Right. His right hand, um, the right hand of doom, if you will. Oh, speaking of the right hand, do you want to bring up that uh, little flub in the battle scene with the giants? I, sure. So there's a scene, I had to actually rewind it and then point it out to her. There's a scene where the editing, like they do, they flip it, they, they flip the Sometimes the for whatever, whatever reason, the way they shot it, it looks better flipped the other way. Sure. So they'll shoot it one way, and then in post, they'll, like, invert the image right. so it's backwards. The problem is when you have a person with asymmetrical limbs, <laughs> because their right hand is this giant stone fist, and their left hand is normal, you flip it, and now it looks like their left hand left arm is a giant stone fist. <laughs> and I noticed this. And I pointed it out to my wife. And she was basically like, yeah, who cares? And I was like, you don't see that as unprofessional <laughs> when the editor is basically like, yeah, it's fine. Nobody will notice in this, you know, action sequence. No, I did notice. I was like, wait. Yeah. I thought it was his right hand that was... is stone. Yeah. No, that's his left. I, what? It, it bothered me in, like, Charlie's Angels 2 or Full Throttle, like the DVD version I have, they forgot to edit out the wires and the boom mic and whatever else in this mm-hmm. action scene. That's lazy filmmaking. Okay. But when it's like, oh, we had to like flip this one scene, like it doesn't bother me. It just it just bothered me for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's fine, but I'm sure the purists whatever. out there are with you. Like they are okay. with you. So getting back to what I was saying, so Hellboy, aside from being a demon. He's also just prophesied to be the, you know, the destroyer. His right hand is the key to unlock the prison of Agdru Jihad, which... They don't go into it in this movie. (laughs) In this movie, they don't go into. They do go into it in the first Hellboy with Ron Perlman, right? And so, which, Agdru Jihad is this kind of apocalyptic dragon beast... In the dark recesses. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like in like a Cthulhu type monster who will consume the world and whatever. And, you know, his hand is the key to unlock their, you know, prison or something. Again, that's another reason why I don't like this as a reboot. I would have preferred this as a continuation because we're getting kind of like a different version of his origin of like, oh yeah, he was really prophesied in this way. And you're like, no, like what? You can't just, he's, it's this too. It's, it's both. You know, they do this reveal kind of to him where he finds out like, oh, his dad was there to destroy, you know, he, whatever he, he finds out stuff about his dad that we already would have known from the previous, from the previous movies. Yeah. 
And so it's, I don't know. I guess if you think of this as kind of a prequel before he knew some of that stuff. Yeah, that's, that's, I think, one of the problems with a, what did I call it last time? Like, a, I did a sequiboot. That was it. I called them a sequiboot when we did Men in Black uh, International. Uh So that's the problem when you're... In Men in Black International, you know it's a sequel, but it's a reboot because there's new characters. Sure. Um, but there's some characters from the original movie. Here, it's more of like a pure reboot. Yeah. And they didn't... I don't feel like, at least for you, it doesn't seem like they made that clear enough. Because it's like, is this separate from... I mean, in a sense, by the end, you kind of could say it's a prequel because the very last scene of the movie is them essentially finding Abe Sapien. Yeah, which is like, it's like an Easter egg. The first first two movies. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. I guess my (laughs) issue with with this is they ignored what makes Hellboy an interesting character, Mm -hmm. is that he is, in fact, heroic, even though everything within him tells him that he shouldn't be and he goes against his nature and i think he's a great example in art and fiction of a character who shows kind of an optimism like we can rise above our nature and we can all be better as humans yeah and a perfect case study for the uh nature versus nurture debate (laughs) sure and in a despite the fact that he was born evil he was raised in a way in a way he's almost I don't want to say, like, the flip side of the same coin as Superman as a character, mm-hmm. but certainly they're on a similar spectrum where Superman is interesting because, again, he is an all-powerful being who could easily rule this world. Like, if yeah. he wanted to, if he wanted to give in and, and be evil, he'd be like, yeah, I'm in charge here. Who's going to stop yeah. me? Which, if you want to see that king. version, watch Brightburn. <laughs> okay. Which um, I seriously think you need to watch. <laughs> but... Superman doesn't. Yeah. He instead serves humanity and helps and does not give in to the lust for power, even though he easily could rule the world. Same thing with Hellboy. Um, I feel like this movie ignores that completely Mm -hmm. and just says, oh, you know why people love Hellboy? People love Hellboy because he's sarcastic and smashes stuff. And, uh, yeah, you know, he's just kind of a cool, badass guy. He drinks, he smokes. Yeah, like, it's just, <laughs> it's very, what's the word? I miss the kitten and the cat. Like, in the Ron Perlman version, Hellboy oh. has, like, a hundred cats. Like, he, like, loves cats. Like, it, it basically is, is, is only skin deep the way they treat his character. Yeah. And so they're not getting into any nuance with this version. And I feel like that's a shame. I didn't hate this movie. Um, I don't think it's good. Like, I'm not mad that I watched it. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm mad I, or I'm glad that we didn't, like, go see it in theaters or something. Yeah. Because I'll admit, when I first heard they were going to make it, I was kind of excited. I liked that boy as a, as a, you know, um, as a series. In fact, I think I saw, like, one of the original ones, like, with my dad. And it was kind of surprising that he wanted to see that (laughs) because he's not really into stuff like that. Um, I do think the horror is misplaced, like you were saying. I feel like it's, you shouldn't do something just for the sake of doing it. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't make something a horror film just because you think it'd be cool to make it a horror film. Yeah. For the same reason why you shouldn't make a Superman movie, 
try to be like the Dark Knight just because you want to. There should be a reason, and it should be a good reason. And this movie did not have a good reason to make the artistic choices that they did. And that's mostly what I have to say about that, I think. A beautiful summation. But I'm going to ruin it by asking (laughs) another question. Um, (laughs) So, in recent times, there have been successful TV adaptations of graphic novels. Okay. I'm going to give some Netflix examples. So, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina yeah. is based on the graphic novel. And the creators of that actually, um, the creators of the graphic novel helped create the show. So, okay. they had like, you know, it's basically their vision. Yeah. Um, also on Netflix, there was Lock and Key, which is based on a popular, live graphic novel series. Right? Sure, yeah, I think so. Oh, is it a book by Joe Hill? Well, a graphic novel is a book, so yes, it's a it's a okay. comic book series slash graphic novel. <laughs> Love See, Joe Hill. For the referent, um, for for the record, graphic novels often get released in comic book form as like a maxi series, mm-hmm. as opposed to mini series. A maxi series just being longer than a mini. So, like a twelve part series, for example, yeah, will then be combined into a novel later on. That's how Watchmen was done. That's how Crisis on Infinite Earths was, etc. Yeah. Hellboy is the same way. You can get the individual issues of Hellboy as a miniseries or a yeah. maxi series, and then they will be put together into a graphic novel. And then, in the case of like this movie, three graphic novels or like twelve comic books mm-hmm. comprise one story arc. Okay. As far as the characters, so. So. Continuing what I was saying. Yeah, that was a weird aside, <laughs> we got but I just the, felt the need to point yes, out. Yes, the definition of a graphic novel. Um, so basically, you know, they condense these, they take these storylines and put them into a TV show where maybe it makes more sense to have it drawn out over, you know, eight, ten episodes. Um, a lot of the critics for this movie mentioned how they're trying to cram too much into too little time. So does this, does Hellboy kind of suffer from the bright problem where they're doing too much in too short of a movie? Maybe it should have been a TV show. Like, do you think Hellboy would succeed as a TV show? Yes. If you're asking me that should they make a (laughs) Hellboy TV show, the answer is yes. They absolutely should make a Hellboy TV show. Would it be better... I feel like that's kind of a general question that you can almost always say... Like, yes, in the age, in the modern age, and this is actually fitting considering Neil Marshall uh, did Game of Thrones Thrones episodes, (laughs) in the modern age where TV has gotten to the point where it occupies this prestigious part of our um, entertainment culture and TV is no longer looked down upon as a lesser art form compared to cinema. Mm Mm-hmm. TV really can be long-form cinema. Yeah. Absolutely. And so almost any book or comic book or what have you could benefit from being a TV show or a miniseries or what have you instead of a movie. Absolutely. Now, take something like Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings worked... Because I think Peter Jackson said, I don't care that I'm basically going to make 10 hours worth of 
uh, you know, of film, of film, yeah. of storytelling. This is a long trilogy. There's a lot of moving parts, and yeah, I'm going to tell this story over ten hours, divided into three pieces. I don't care. That's a really long time, but you you could easily see the Lord of the Rings since it's ten hours. That's one season of Game of Thrones. Yeah, it is. <laughs> or various other shows. So it's not hard to imagine a Lord of the Rings type story trilogy being told over the course of one season of a TV show. Mm-hmm. As long as, of course, you have the budget to back it up and, you know, you can do all the things you want to do to tell the story. Yeah. Because, unfortunately, with TV, you're not going to have a TV show series that brings in a billion dollars yeah. <laughs> from ticket sales. Well, and despite the fact right now that there yeah. are a lot of, I mean, superhero TV shows were slash are doing fairly well, you know? You've got the lighthearted CW ones where you've got Supergirl, The Flash, and mm-hmm. then Arrow's all dark and gritty. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have the spinoff uh, Legends of Tomorrow, which is also kind of lighthearted and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on Netflix, you had Granted, they were all dark and gritty. You had Iron Fist and Daredevil and Jessica Jones, um, Luke Cage, and then the one season of The Defenders, which was great. And then DC has Doom Patrol on their online only for some reason, which, but people are loving that show. I wish more storytellers would have the bravery slash coordination and accept from the producing people and the you know the the channels whatever the Netflix executives or the HBO executives to do what Damon Lindelof did with the Watchmen TV show and say yeah uh, we're done I'm making one <laughs> season of this show yeah everybody's gonna love it it's awesome we haven't watched it for the record but we want probably to. will <laughs> um, I'm done that's the story I wanted to tell yeah bye. Well, the same thing with even The Good Place. Like, Michael Schur went into it saying, I have four or five seasons planned. Like, that's all it's going to be. Yeah. And I feel like I wish that that was done more. And I hope that the, uh, you know, the TV part of Hollywood executives would get to where um, they're accepting of that. Because you can have... In a situation like this, you can have a, uh, a show where, yeah, this is the story we're going to tell, and we're done. The bring, same way this is the movie the we're going to tell. Bring back the miniseries. Bring back the... I mean, it doesn't have to be a miniseries. It can be... It just doesn't have to be like, we're going to... Yeah, you don't have to stretch it out. Yeah. It just can be, uh, this is it, and this is beautiful, and that's all it is. Right. So, getting back to your original question... Yeah, would I love to see like a Hellboy TV show, but where they don't sit there and say, how do we turn this into seven episodes and a spin-off movie or whatever, you know, yeah. the, the community <laughs> joke of six seasons and a movie? No. Can you turn it into four different miniseries where you say, we're going to tell this story over the course of, you know, five episodes. And then one year later, we're going to tell this story over four episodes. And then maybe if we feel like it, we can do another one, but otherwise, no. Well, maybe okay, we'll see a little bit of a resurgence with that in, and obviously these haven't come out yet, but Disney Plus does have those series planned for um, 
you know, characters that we know, but we're mm-hmm. not going to see anymore. So, like, the Loki series is only going to oh, be, right. like, six episodes. Or, right. like, Wanda and Vision is only going to be, like, five episodes. No, and I love that because there's a lot of comic books I've read that were very interesting. And it's been a long time, honestly, since I've read comic books. So, um, nothing super recent. But, like, there's, um, there was a mini, or whatever. Uh, there was a, 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 Words are hard. They are. There's kind of a one-off series. Same kind of thing where they said, hey, we're going to do like 10 part comic books and then just tell our story and be done. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was written by Neil Gaiman and it's called 1602 or something like that. Essentially, it's like, imagine all the Marvel characters who exist in like, you know, Renaissance England. Yeah. (laughs) So you have the mutants and you have, you know, the X-Men, like Xavier's school and you have Spider-Man, and you have all these various characters. Um, I think Spider-Man. I know the X-Men are in there. But basically, it's like the same kind of characters, but imagine them in an alternate timeline where now all of this stuff is happening, you know, 500 years ago or whatever. Yeah. 400 years ago instead of now, and what would that be like? If they made like a... TV show version of that, that'd be amazing. <laughs> if it, you know, assuming they did a good job, obviously. Yeah. I would always assume they're going to hopefully do a good job with the source material. But it's an, it's just interesting. And there is the demand for it. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, now that comic books, and I feel like this is relevant because, of course, we're talking about Hellboy. Now that comic books have become so mainstream and an actual, like, tappable source mm-hmm. for like, stories to then translate into TV and movies. Yeah. Like, there's a ton of that stuff that they can draw from to make, you know, for years to come. Yeah. And there's not just Marvel and DC. Obviously. Right, well, obviously, like, Hellboy, Hellboy Dark, Dark Horse. Horse can... But there's, yeah, like there's so many other options to choose from. And instead of seeing the same stories retold or rebooted a hundred times, maybe it'd be nice to get a fresh perspective on something that hasn't been adapted as much yet, which is why for me personally, getting off on another tangent, I enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy so much was because I didn't know those characters. I hadn't seen four reboots or four intonations of characters just like mm-hmm. that. And it was exciting to see something new and done so well. Um, I'd love to see more comic books get adapted into films and or TV shows and explore those new characters. Yeah, and really, if you have a if you have a showrunner slash director visionary whatever who is really going to be meticulous and like creative and say this is the story I want to tell, then you can have something awesome like Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Even though, and and it's funny because I'm sure now those characters are going to end up becoming beloved by the kids growing up. I mean, yeah. Kids, <laughs> you know, like some of those characters. I mean, famously. The uh, making the Avengers movies was kind of a gamble for Marvel in the first place because Iron Man and Captain America and Thor were not even close to their most popular characters. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but now they are. Yeah. I guarantee you they are. For this, you know, this generation that's alive, whether from adults our age to down to our kids, this generation is going to continue to grow up and into, you know further levels of adulthood yeah and be like yeah man iron man yeah he's awesome Mm -hmm. so 
yes, I would love to see more treatment of of uh, some of these characters, Hellboy especially, um, with TV and and whatnot, and you know more drawn out stories for sure. And who knows, maybe, you know, with the pandemic and the death knell of movie theaters, maybe that's what we're going to end up. Everybody just be watching stuff in their homes anyway, right? But I'm sure that's not going to happen. My job. <laughs> All so. right. There you have it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of One Star Bazaar. As always, you can reach out to us on social media to let us know what you think or what you'd like us to review next. Please, please rate and review. It lets us know you're listening, and we do read them. So, <laughs> next week we are heading back to Netflix to review the Netflix original movie Team Up between Michael Bay, who is no stranger to the podcast, and Ryan Reynolds with Six Underground. We'll see you then.